The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. say it's nice to be home, even though it's a little hot. I had to laugh the other day when I was, when I was about to depart. I was, I was in Canada, for those of you who didn't know. Uh, I was about to leave, and, and uh, they were laughing at the mealtime because it was so dreadfully hot. One girl said she felt like she was melting, and it was at the great heat of 82 degrees with low humidity. And I just smiled, and I said, yeah... But it is good to be back. My time of retreat was uh, a, a true blessing, a time of great grace and great peace. And I count that on, a, on the, the gift of your prayers for me during that time. And so I, I certainly appreciate it and, uh, and thank you. It was a wonderful, a wonderful gift that you've given uh, in the offering of your prayers and your love. Like I said, it was a time of great peace. But as soon as I came home, it was almost kind of this disheartening that began to creep back in. Of course, as I began to hear the news of uh, the things going on in recent days of uh, the, the incidents in Dallas and uh, the continued unrest and violence and division in our, in, our, in our world, especially in our own country, but even coming so close now as to Baton Rouge, uh, to be right in our, uh, in our back door in a sense, uh, as, as these things tend to happen. And it just reminded me, it was kind of a, a stark example of me of how much we desire peace and the place where that peace can come from. The world offers us many instances of peace. We can have peace when we kind of get the things that we desire that make us happy, that give us uh, a restful day. We've got a, a house over our head. We've got food on the table, clothes on our back. There's a sense of peace in that because we don't have to, to fret about where are these things coming from. 
There's a sense of peace in which we can, you know, have a, a, a lack of violence, a lack of unrest uh, that, that comes in little spurts here and there quite often, more than not. That too can be a, a sort of peace. The world also offers us a peace in which they say if you, if you just give up these things which are important to you, if you, if you don't worry about that stuff as much, oftentimes it's for us things of faith, then it will be a more peaceful place because you won't have to have the conflict of disagreements. So too, we can have a sense of worldly peace. But these are not peace that lasts. The only peace that lasts is the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And that's that we desire. Every single person, even those who war in violence against each other, are ultimately seeking peace in the end. They're just seeking it by different means. Every human heart desires peace. We were built for it because the peace is eternal life. We were made for heaven. And our hearts cry out for it even now. The gospel we just heard kind of helps us to to focus on that a little bit uh, in a sense today. Certainly we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. And it gives us much to contemplate. We can go through and we can pray with each of the different aspects. Certainly there's a, a sense in which the story is prescriptive. It, does, it, it describes what we ought to do. You know, it goes to the, Jesus goes to the narrative and at the end he says, go and do likewise. It's, a, it's an action of something we're supposed to perform, of course. So too we can put ourselves into the scripture and to see where do we find ourselves. To pray with the scripture in a different sense, to, to put ourselves as the innkeeper or the Samaritan or the priest or the Levite or the man who was left in the ditch or even the robbers sometimes. And to pray, for our, to pray with ourselves on those different things and how, how those things kind of are, are manifest in our own life even here and now. But I want to reflect for a moment mainly on the fact that the story of the Good Samaritan is not just uh, a story of description of how we ought to show mercy or an opportunity for us to, to put ourselves into the picture, but to see it really as the story of Jesus, the story of Christ come among us. I've, I'm sure I've preached about it before. The early church fathers gave wonderful descriptions and reflections on this passage, seeing it as Christ, as the, the story of our salvation, basically, because the, the, the man left beaten and bruised on the side of the road, left for dead, is us. It's humanity, all of us. Left to ourselves, loved by ourselves without some assistance, we would surely die. We can't have life just by our own choosing it. We have life only because Christ comes to give it back to us, to renew us, to enliven us once again. And so it's He who is the Good Samaritan. The priest and Levite are so often, uh, you know, people throughout the world, it's the norm of the world. It's how things are supposed to be done in a certain sense. The priest and Levite both. Or more or less just following the rules of what ought to be done in the society of the day. It was a, it was a, a, a big no-no to touch someone who was bleeding or possibly who had died. Both of those meant you were rendered ritually unclean. And as such, especially a priest and a Levite who were both priestly functions, you weren't able to minister in the way that you were supposed to in the community. You were unclean, so you weren't able to, to enter into the temple. You weren't able to, to do certain things. And if you touched other people, they became unclean. It was, like, it was like having the flu, spiritually speaking. Nobody wants to be around you when you got the flu. They want to just lock yourself in a room, you do your thing, right? And so the same with the sense of being unclean. And so they were, they were thinking, I need to serve the Lord. I need to serve the communities where, where, where I'm going to, so I'm going around the opposite way. 
In leaving the man in the ditch, they were following the way of the Lord that they felt they were called. Interesting, huh? And yet it's the Lord who's the good Samaritan. The one who does that thing which ought not to be done. He goes and he touches the man. He picks him up. Places him on his own animal. Surely gets some blood on himself, the blood on his animal. All of his things are unclean and he himself unclean in a sense now. But he cares not because he knows that his love is more important than his cleanliness. He knows it's more important to show charity toward the one in need. To recognize the neighbor. And so he goes and he anoints him. He washes his wine, he washes his wounds with wine and wraps him up with oil and bandages. Signs of the sacraments. Oil and wine. It comes to heal and to cleanse. And then he brings the man to the inn. He takes care of him for the night. He gives a, a little bit of change. And he says, when I come back, I'll pay you back everything that you've given. Anything over and above what, this, what the cost has been, I'll give it back to you. And again, in two, we see the sign of Christ. Christ brings us to the church. He ascended back to the Father and He will come again in His glory. We know that. He'll come back one day. We're waiting patiently, sometimes impatiently. I'm impatiently waiting. And so it's the Lord who will come back, but in the meantime, He entrusts us to the care of the church, His body, to be able to continue the work, to continue the healing, to redress the ruins once again, to cleanse and to purify, to sanctify, to give food, to continue to give shelter. To give him new clothes, because presumably he had none. He was stripped naked, right? To give him some new clothes. To give him conversation. A person to speak to. The church does all of those things for us along the journey. To provide for us in so many ways. Certainly the church does provide the sacraments. That were, as the man would have been growing in health, he would have had to have continued cleansing of the wounds. More wine, more oil, more dressing. So the sacraments are necessary for us. But if we have our wounds cleansed, if somebody comes in and gives us all the, everything we need, but they don't feed us, if they don't give us water, if they do nothing else for us but just simply take care of the outside, we will die in a short time. And so too, the life of the church recognizes the importance not just of the sacraments, but of those things which nourish us along with the sacraments to allow the sacraments to be even more fruitful and to have their effect upon us in time. We often call this the devotional life of the church. That the devotions that the church gives to us are meant to nourish our heart, to nourish our soul and to lead us to eternal life. Things such as the rosary, as various prayers, various offerings to the, 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 the prayers to the saints and chaplets and such. Ways in which the things that are they're similar to the sacraments in that they, they help us to encounter God, to receive His grace, to receive His healing. But they come in a different way. A way that, in a sense, tastes better. It's more passionate in a sense. It connects more with our personal life. The devotions of the church are very, very important. I want to propose to you a devotion today. I'm sure you've all heard of it. It's the devotion that helps us to answer every single question that arises in our heart. To the response of the, of the, the, the things of the world around us, all the division, the unrest, the violence, the lack of peace that, that is, is manifest by our desire for peace. 
in all of these things, so many questions arise in our heart. How do I respond? What do I do? What do I say? Am I supposed to do something? How do I show mercy? Who's my neighbor? All of these things start to come up to the surface as we experience more and more kind of input into our brains. How do I respond? And to that I say, to every question that arises in the human heart, in every single one of those things, the answer can be found in the most sacred heart of Jesus. The most sacred heart of Jesus, the devotional of the church. I've been accused many times by strangers and friends that prayer is just the easy way out. So Father Brent, every time I come with a question, every time I, you know, that, that, that I ask something that's challenging, that's difficult, I'm, I'm hoping for an answer and you just ask me to pray about it or you ask me about my prayer life. How many times friends have come and lamented this, that, and the other thing going on and the first thing that I say is, how's your prayer life these days? Well, it's not that great, but that doesn't matter. Da-da-da-da. Oh-ho. <laughs> it matters. It matters. Our life of prayer changes everything. Because if we don't allow ourselves time with the Lord, we can't actually answer any of the questions, really, that arise in our hearts. We don't know really what it is that God is calling us to. We can try. But it's only in listening to Him that we find this out. The sacred heart devotion, in a sense, is kind of hidden as a, uh, as a little seed in the gospel passage we just heard. It's there because in the gospel, the, the Samaritan is simply one who comes and whose love is so great that he breaks all the rules and goes directly to one in need at great personal cost to himself. At the cost of wine, at the cost of oil, the cost of bandages, of clothing, of the coins that he left, of the time that he had to take. At great cost to himself, he came. And it's the story of Jesus, who at grace cost to himself, even to the death on the cross, came for us to pick us up, to bring us to the end, and to bring us to healing and to health, and ultimately to heaven. And so he comes, this Lord of love, and it's that which the devotion encompasses. St. Margaret Mary was a religious sister in France. And she was in her prayer one day, and the Lord came and appeared before her, and she could see his heart. Normally, we can't see people's hearts, right? That's not a good thing if you could see somebody's heart. But the Lord came, and he showed her his heart. And she looked at it, and she saw that it was burning with fire, that it was ablaze. And she just marveled at it. Another time he came and he did the same thing. His heart was able to be seen once more. Except she noticed as she gazed into it, that it, was, that it was brighter than, than, than a thousand suns, it seemed, just the radiance of it, and yet it was crystal clear, perfectly clear. She saw in that perfect purity, and yet a strong, passionate love for humanity. Purity and love. That's the heart of Christ. One day in her prayer, another time, he reached out to her as his heart was exposed. He reached out and he took hers and placed it within his own. And just as we would throw a log onto the fire and watch it slowly be consumed and it would grow into flame and it would be indistinguishable from the rest of the fire, so too her heart. It began to catch flame, little by little, but soon it was blazing with the same love of Christ, no longer in his heart, but it is now also in hers. And then he took that blazing heart and gave it back to her. It's the call of love. For us to love in the same manner of Jesus, 
And that's not the easy way out. To spend time with the Lord is not the easy way out. Again, I was reflecting on that question in my own prayer this past week. And a quote came that I thought was rather providential. It helped me to make sense of it all and to, to, to kind of give a, a visible, concrete image in a sense. It's from Catherine Doherty, who's the founder of the community I went to go visit. And she said this, We must trust, resting peacefully on God's breast, listening to his heartbeats, and realizing that in listening, we will find the answer to all of our questions. It's only when we go and rest on the heart of Christ. It's only when we go in the, in the silence of prayer and to sit with the Lord, to lay our head upon his chest in a spiritual sense, and to listen. Just to listen. We know, that, we know the needs of our heart. He knows them even more. Certainly we can offer some questions, we can ask some words, we can, we can express our desires, our needs, but most important of all, just to sit and to listen. Because it's in listening that we begin to hear the Lord speak. Every homily that you've heard out of my lips is version 2.0. The first version is the thing that I want to say. But then I have to go to Christ in the Blessed Sacrament and to sit and allow Him to purify that, to sanctify that, to, 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 to put the homily in a sense in His heart and to let it to be burned and to let it burn with His charity and to give it back and for me to try to preach that in exchange. If I gave you the first homily, it would be useless. But the second, I pray, is fruitful. A homily of love. Love for Christ. And it's that that He desires in each of us. He desires to see us at peace. Because we know His heart, we know His voice, we know His will. And we have the courage and the love to follow it. It's what He desires of us. It's why He came to heal us. To heal us of all that unrest within our heart that is symbolized by the unrest in this world surrounding us. And to bring peace. Lasting peace. Every Mass we pray, right? Lord Jesus, He said to us, My peace I give you. Peace be with you. And it's that peace that He wants to find every moment of the day resting in our heart. Every moment. His peace. And so I encourage you. Think about the sacred heart. If you've got an image at your house, take a little bit this week and just simply look at it to pray with it. Just to sit and just, just to listen. You don't even have to say a single word. Just listen. I guarantee you'll be amazed by what happens. In listening, we find all the answers to our questions. Even questions we don't know that we have. Answers begin to come. And so for us to listen to the Lord, to listen to his heart, to let his heartbeat resonate within our ears, within our own heart. To let our heart be burst aflame, much in the same of St. Margaret Mary. And so we ask these graces that the Lord make all these intentions fruitful by the Eucharist we come to celebrate and receive. That we receive uh, even just uh, the smallest increase in that flame within our hearts today. For love of the Lord and love of neighbor. We pray that he would make our hearts more like his own. And so we pray. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine.